Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. Now, here is your host, Eric Skwarzynski. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Sheila, thank you so much for joining me a second time on the podcast. Yeah, it's great to be back. I think for the Great Sex Rescue, you interviewed or or you surveyed 22,000 people Mm -hmm. um, for this book, 7,000 people, which is a lot of data. Um, But really, I think there's two questions we need to answer right out of the gate, which is, number one, how could women dress more appropriately so as not to make men stumble? (laughs) Why do girls talk so much? Have you figured that out in all this research? Oh yeah, I I know. I it, it's amazing how much these tropes are just yeah. considered normal, eh? Yeah. Like they're everywhere. And yeah. it's so hard to get away from them. And so that's what we were really looking at in the new book is is how do some of these really stupid harmful things that have been said forever in evangelical right. circles how can we how can we talk against them well, i'm glad you didn't hit end the minute i asked that question <laughs> i was like should i go for this in the, in the beginning but it is it is true like it's it's so interesting going through the book and looking at all these surveys and you know and i'm sure there's some people who were surveyed for the first book that also were surveyed for this but if we're saying there's 25,000 plus unique individuals and that's probably a mm-hmm. safe assumption um it's shocking how similar the experiences are across all these different women who've been surveyed for these books. Um, I, I'm curious between the last book and this book, is there any new data that maybe you weren't aware of that like stood out as like, wow, I can't believe that popped up that we didn't see before? Yeah. So one of the, our big research questions for The Great Sex Rescue was why is it that evangelical women suffer from sexual pain at at mm-hmm. least twice the rate of the general population, if not two and a half times the rate? And um, in The Great Sex Rescue, we we found a partial answer, which is that obligation sex, yeah. lack of women's autonomy, is highly correlated with vaginismus and sexual dysfunction. And we presented at that um, at physiotherapy conventions, all kinds of stuff. With this one, we found another effect, which is like just as large. It's huge. And even though I knew it was going to be bad, I didn't know it was going to be this bad. <laughs> and so I, it's not that any particular finding was surprising. It was just this, the strength of the correlations mm-hmm. that were like, 
whoa. And that's the modesty messages. When mm. we when we tell girls, boys can't help but lust if you're dressed like you're trying to entice it. Boys are visual yeah. in a way you can't ever understand. When we tell girls that, their chance of experiencing sexual pain as an adult goes up 52%. It's wild. And one of the things that um, stood out in the book and I, I like visual stuff because um, mm-hmm. men are visual. So no, I like uh, I like visual <laughs> graphs and charts because I think mm-hmm. it's when you see breakdowns where it's like you can see a, a bar graph where it's like, here's this amount. It just puts it in perspective in a way where just hearing a number doesn't mm-hmm. sum it up. And one of the things in the book uh, for people who are watching can see it, this page stood out to me where you had a graph of like words in the New Testament speaking that could be applied to to i mean girls who are hearing these messages versus on the other side christian books targeted toward women and looking at that and you even give down the next page you break down by the amount of times things are said but the new testament you have like the most common words are like love lord jesus pray believe faith uh for christian materials for teen girls it's love sex weight marriage virginity purity and seeing that breakdown so like clearly like illustrates this situation of like for a, I mean more than 50% of the church there's a message directly toward this group of people like they're getting this type of teaching repeatedly when the bible's not emphasizing these topics this much why is it being emphasized so much to women within the church yeah i know that's amazing um the bible talks about money way more than it talks about sex or Jesus talked about money way more than sex. Mm. And yet, what is it that we we talk to girls about? Um, I'm Gen X. I'm not millennial. So I grew up before purity culture. Mm. And when I was in youth group, our big things that we talked about were praying and evangelism and learning to, to share your testimony. Mm. We prayed through the 1040 window for missions. Um, that's really what we were focusing on, was a very outward-focused foca- faith. And then when purity culture came in for that 20 years, kind of from 1995 to 2015, and it's still very much there, it's just changed the words that it uses, all of a sudden, girls' faith was almost entirely about whether or not they had sex. Mm -hmm. That's all it was. And when we looked at, at books aimed at teen girls, pretty much the only thing they talked about was sex and relationships. We weren't looking for sex and relationship books to analyze. We were looking for just books and that's yeah. all they were on. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was really quite disheartening. It's almost like we're in a sex cult. Yeah. You know, where everything about girls is is about sex. And yeah, we we found that really disheartening. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it... I could give you I could give you my hypotheses about why it is. Sure. <laughs> um, I don't know how far we want to stray into the weeds, but I, I think that there's been um, a concerted effort to make it sound like men and women are very different creatures mm-hmm. in order to keep the idea that men need to be in leadership in the church. And so the, it becomes necessary to talk about how boys are like this and girls are like this. Right. So yeah. boys lust, boys are visual, girls aren't. You know, boys want the physical, girls want the emotional, Mm -hmm. and then we start blaming girls for boys' sins. So Mm -hmm. because boys can't help it, it's on you, and that becomes the way that girls live out their faith. And I I think a lot of it has been to preserve this idea of of manhood in the church Mm -hmm. and of men having a special status, and it really has hurt everybody. Do you think in a lot of ways the, you know, because... 
I, I think the pushback I see online when you see someone talking about your book or similar books to it is, well, there are definite differences or they'll say there are definite, like men are more visual or there are like, and they'll give anecdotal evidence or even some maybe, I guess you could say legitimate evidence and studies and things. The way I look at it is there's a lot of self-fulfilling prophecy based on the teaching. And you said it just a second ago, you weren't looking for books on this subject. That's what was made available. And I've been thinking about this a lot lately, especially as a parent now and thinking about raising a daughter is when you tell someone your purpose is to get married and to be a good wife and eventually to have sex with your husband. And you're telling boys that you are a visual creature. You can't control yourself, you know, be around the right kind of women who aren't going to make you stumble. Like, do you think it's possible over the decades, maybe especially since purity culture, that we've seen people start filling in these roles and we have seen it become a legitimate difference between men and women because we've inserted that difference? Do you think that's something that's happened over the last couple of decades? Absolutely. And we actually found that with the Great Sex Rescue, uh, there are certain beliefs which, if you internalize them as teenagers, actually lower women's libido Mm -hmm. as adults. One of the big ones is all men struggle with lust. If you Mm -hmm. believe that as a teen, your libido goes down quite substantially. Um, And and so much work on the brain has shown how plastic the brain is. And so our our brains can change. Our pathways can really change. Um, the most recent meta-analyses about the visual nature between men and women, for instance, finds no major physical difference at all. Yeah. Um, women do have higher rates of arousal non-concordance. So they're, they might be physically aroused, have physical signs of arousal, lubrication, et cetera. But their brains might be going, no, that does not turn me on at all. So we have we have higher arousal non-concordance than men do. Um, And some of that could be cultural. Some of that might be that um, we're just not as tuned into what arouses us because we've been taught to ignore our, it could be all kinds of different things. But so we do have, have different levels of that, but yes, there's a huge self-fulfilling prophecy and we need to think hard and long about what it is that we are telling both boys and girls about the nature of a girl's sex drive and the nature of a boy's sex drive. Yeah. Um, let me let me give you a story. I, I think this was this one's in the book, but uh, a couple of years ago, there was a viral Facebook post that a woman posted. So she goes into church with her two teenage boys. They sit in a pew, and then a woman comes in with her teenage girls and sits in front of them, and the teenage girls are wearing yoga pants. And the mother is so upset because how are her sons supposed to worship if there are girls in yoga pants in front of her? So in a huff, she stands up, takes her boys and moves them in front of these girls. And she's very proud of herself for having done this. Mm -hmm. And she posts on Facebook how inappropriate it is for moms to bring girls to church dressed like that. And all I'm thinking is, what have you just taught your sons? Mm. You have just taught your sons that you are helpless if a woman is wearing something which is form fitting, yeah, you're not going to be able to worship God. You're not going to be able to respect those girls. You are helpless. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that we we found that in our survey of guys too, mm-hmm. um, that this becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. And guys who are taught this have a lot more struggles with pornography later on. I, I find it easy to identify now with a lot of the influencers who have dominated, like. I work with a lot of entrepreneurs, so I've dominated the entrepreneurial space, like Andrew Tate or Jordan Peterson, and like this long list of people who are beloved by a lot of evangelicals, ironically. But I found 
that there's like this all the guys are talking about the alpha mentality and like the mm-hmm. all the all the messaging around it like you can see so clearly it's a cultural social message that's being inserted into biblical teaching like it's a, it's a philosophy about men and women that's then being applied and then guys are acting a certain way to try to fit that mold which i saw a lot and was part of that you know where it's like i need to be this way i shouldn't be so emotional i needed to be you know all these different things to be what a man is and then women are getting this to be i need to be submissive i need to be quiet i shouldn't you know people talk too much which was a lot in your book you know where you talk about there's not much difference in how much men and women talk um you know there's so much of this layered in um now it's kind of an uphill battle because we're so many years into this. Women have been historically kind of silenced within the church. And I say the church at large, there's obviously exceptions to the rule. Um, after surveying, I mean, almost 30,000 people, like my takeaway is how many more people need to raise their voice about it before the mm-hmm. people in charge start noticing. So what have you noticed as far as progress versus like, Hey, we've got a long way to go in making any real change in this area. Okay, well, let me turn your question around. You said, "How many more people do we have to survey until those in charge notice?" Mm-hmm. I don't think they're ever going to notice. Hmm. It doesn't matter how many people I survey; they're not going to notice. Now, some will. Some individual pastors will, for sure. Yeah. And I've had some amazing pastors um, pay attention to our work and and listen to our work, and it's been great. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of counselors, all that. The only thing that is going to make the people in charge change is if they start losing their audience. Hmm. Um, one of the things that I think I think probably one of the most important findings that we did have for She Deserves Better is that church attendance as a whole is a very positive thing for girls. You know, going to church, believing in Jesus, that's all very, very good. Okay, so the church is not the problem. The problem is, as soon as you internalize toxic messages about consent, about modesty, about um, whether or not girls talk too much, uh, really, really bad sex ed, as soon as you internalize these things, all of the benefits of church disappear. And so it's not that all churches are bad. It's that some churches are teaching such toxic stuff that it's seriously hurting girls. And yeah. the the and the question is, how long is it going to be until we just stop propping it up? Yeah. Because we can't, we can't depend on the powers that be to change. No one is going to change when their salary depends on doing things exactly like they've been doing it and when they're, and when they're getting major benefits from doing what they're doing. They're only going to change when those benefits disappear. Hmm. And so it's like, how long before we start saying, I'm no longer willing to go to a church, which is teaching my daughter that if she's raped, it's her fault. Yeah. Hmm. And that's the question that all of us need to start asking. Yeah. I guess going a level deeper on that, why do you think so many parents, you know, and and I'm a newer parent, but Mm -hmm. I'm already going, I can't imagine my daughter sitting in this. You know, I think about Mm -hmm. things that I sat through. And I can't imagine as a parent putting my daughter in these situations, or I can't imagine, you know, when I hear stories or read surveys, I can't imagine her learning these lessons about herself at such an early age. Why do you think so many parents have been reticent to withdraw their kids from these environments? Like, why do you think so many families? Because I think there's well-intentioned families that sit and say, we're doing the best thing. We're putting them in church. It's going to help them with all these things. 
you know, why do you think so many are ignoring these major red flags? Like you said, like hearing women get blamed for rape in popular Christian books and from the pulpit mm-hmm. and sermon illustrations, like what's the motivation to stay like when it's all at a cost? I think a lot of it is fear. You know, our church is the only one that has the gospel. And so if we go anywhere else, we wanted the gospel. Um, and I used to believe that to a certain extent. And now I found that I'm at a church which <laughs> preaches so much more scripture and is and it is much yeah. more loving. So that's wonderful. I think another thing is we honestly don't realize what's being taught in youth group. Like uh I I was a very involved parent and, yeah. and I talked to my kids all the time. And one of the co-authors on She Deserves Better is one of my daughters, my oldest daughter. And as we've been doing interviews for this book, she's told stories and I'm like, holy cow, that happened. I never knew. Yeah. <laughs> like She said things that happened to her at 14. I was like, no way. <laughs> like, I am so sorry. I didn't know mm-hmm. that that is what you were told or that that is how you felt. Yeah. And so a lot of us don't realize it. So what I want parents to understand is that youth group is like everything you're taught in church, but on steroids. because it's a world unto itself. So often the teaching is hidden. You don't know what's going on in youth group because it's all happening behind the scenes. It's often run by very young people who don't have a lot of life experience, who often haven't raised teenagers themselves, Mm -hmm. and who often aren't that educated. This This doesn't mean there aren't any good youth pastors, but but on the whole, youth pastors are far less aware of trauma or uh, um, just psychology than your average parent or pastor. So that's a problem. Um, And the other issue is that the only thing that youth groups talk about almost entirely is relationships and sex. Mm -hmm. Those aren't talked about that much in the church. And so if you're thinking, well, my church is generally pretty healthy. We don't say weird things about women. You don't necessarily know what's being taught in youth group. And so if your church is one where women mostly are sidelined and don't really have much of a voice, but you don't feel like that affects you, just realize that that's going to be exponential in youth group. This is the place where Black is the main character, where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop and BMF. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. Save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big money at When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. (sighs) Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. So I'm 28 uh, and my my parents recently moved near us. And so we've just been around each other more. I've been telling stories or saying, remember when they used to say this? And they'd be like, no, <laughs> but it is such a different world. And now as a 28 year old, where I still feel like a kid, like I still feel like it, high school's 10 years ago, I still feel like I just graduated. Like 
it's one of those things where I'm like, man, our youth pastors were like 24, 25, like had no, like you said, no kids of their own or kids that were like three or four. And they're giving us advice as teenagers, like dealing with whatever the topics were. That's kind of crazy. Like that so much of our time was spent with people that did not know, even if they were trying their best, did not know how to help us or how to encourage us. And the other piece, and I'm so glad you mentioned your daughter, Corinne, the book, I loved her section where she talked about um, teenage emotions um, in the church. And that's such an important part of this too, is that you have kids whose brains aren't fully formed yet. You know, they're still processing, like they're learning emotions for the first time. They're learning how to process life changes for the first time. Um, One thing your daughter wrote that I loved was the adolescent angst is emotional training wheels. Like you have these Mm -hmm. big emotions, you're trying to figure out how to process it. How do I do that? And there's not the tools often to help you through that process. Instead, you're getting messages of shame and and anger and hatred and all these different things that are coming in and infiltrating that worldview. Um, so talking about that, like talking about where it's starting, youth groups, you know, Sunday schools in churches, um, maybe what are some of your, your takeaways working with your daughter on this, hearing her stories where it's like, okay, we need to start at the root of this. We need to go in and say, hey, this is where it starts. What were some of your biggest takeaways writing this book versus Great Sex Rescue? Um, I think that we need a much bigger understanding of emotions and of our place in, in God's world. There is so much emphasis, for instance, on Jesus gave up everything for you. So you should be prepared to give up everything. Mm-hmm. Like if if you're holding anything back, then you're not really being Jesus. And that is a lot of pressure to put on people, especially mm-hmm. teenagers. And we do, I think we put it on teenagers way more than adults, because as adults, we make choices all the time, right? If we hate a job, we will look for another job. Mm-hmm. If kids hate their school, there's really nothing they can do. <laughs> t- Toughen up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if we hate our church, we'll go find another church. If your child hates the youth group and you love the church, there's very little they can do. And so yeah. our kids are often in social situations that they did not choose for themselves. And then we tell them that they need to act like Jesus and love everybody else. And there's a saying that's quite common in Sunday school songs and throughout evangelicalism, um, joy, Jesus first, other second, you mm-hmm. last. And we often teach this to kids that other people matter more than you do and you need to show love. I agree we need to show love, but what Jesus told us was that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. Mm -hmm. So that means we get to love ourselves too, and we matter. Mm -hmm. And Jesus withdrew from crowds when he was tired or needed some time alone. Um, But often we're putting pressure on kids to be nice to the outcast. And um, yes, that really awkward person keeps asking you out, but just remember they need friends and maybe you should spend more time with them. Whereas you would never do that as an adult. If somebody was texting you at all hours, you wouldn't put up with it. But somehow we expect that our kids should. Mm -hmm. And this idea of learning boundaries is something many adults have trouble with, but we need to teach it much more to kids. If we teach boundaries to kids and teens and what it really means to live a Christ-like life. It doesn't mean you let someone walk all over you because you still matter. Then a lot of the problems we found in Great Sex Rescue wouldn't be there. Yeah. Because we'd raise kids who knew that they mattered too. 
Right. Well, you, you mentioned, you know, loving, loving others as yourself, like, and it's, it's one question I always ask, and I may have asked you this two years ago, uh, but, (laughs) you know, um, one of the things that always blows my mind is like, women teach this stuff. Like, to me, it's like, when you go, you said it's kind of like a sex cult, like you go, the patriarchal leadership is going to teach it. That makes sense. Like that checks out. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And then you go like, oh, the pastor's wife is teaching at a women's conference and saying all this stuff. And when you really play that back, it's like, maybe a lot of these teachers are loving others like they love themselves. And a lot of them probably resent themselves or feel shame about themselves or hate themselves or think of themselves as being untrustworthy if they're guys or think of themselves as not be able to control themselves. And they're just teaching that message to the people underneath them. They're teaching them about themselves (laughs) in these messages, which is a really scary thing to think about. Oh, yeah. And I see that on several levels. Like when men say all men struggle with lust, (laughs) what they're saying is I struggle with lust. When men say, I can't, you know, men can't see a woman dressed in yoga pants without imagining her naked. What I'm thinking is you're imagining women naked right now. Like that's in yoga pants and a pew going, oh, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) exactly. Like this is not okay. But it is an interesting phenomenon how many women teach this stuff too. Mm -hmm. And uh, for instance, when my girls were on praise team as teenagers, they were told by an elder's wife not to wear skirts on the platform because the men in the front row would look up their skirts. Mm -hmm. The only men who ever sat in the front row were the elders when they were serving communion. So this was just a really creepy thing to say to my girls. But why was she saying that? Why is it that the majority of the books that are written to teen girls that Mm -hmm. teach these messages are also written by women? And so we wanted to answer that question. So we actually took a look. And in our survey data, we looked at the women as adults who still believe the modesty messages. And we looked at how they fared in other things. And the women who still believe modesty messages are far more likely to be in abusive marriages. They're far more likely to be in marriages where their husbands use porn. They're far more likely to be in unhappy marriages. They have less sexual satisfaction. They have it's it's just bad all around. Um, and so sometimes you have to wonder, is some of the reason that women say these things because they themselves have husbands who aren't trustworthy? And rather than admit there is something wrong with my husband or with my marriage, they would rather say all men are like this and put the problem on the girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that way I don't have to deal with the issues in my own marriage? Yeah. It's crazy thinking back at youth group messages where it's like, there's no situation in which a 13-year-old girl should be attractive to a 40-year-old <laughs> pastor. Like I shouldn't have to say that, but that's breaking news for anybody listening. Like that's that's all stuff that just shouldn't be happening. And so yeah. often the message is just, you know, wear your skirt longer so the pastor doesn't look at you weird. Yeah, like like why can't we be a church where if an adult man says that a 12-year-old is a stumbling block, that instead of handing <laughs> the 12-year-old a sweater, we freak out on the adult man and say, throw what the is block at his head. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think one of the most important, most important things we can teach our kids is your feelings matter. Mm. And so if you're feeling uncomfortable, that is probably a sign that something is wrong. Yeah. And so when you're feeling uncomfortable, let's talk about what steps you can take to make yourself feel better. You know, mm. whether it's um, moving, talking to someone who seems safe, like whatever it might be, but just acknowledging that their feelings matter. Yeah. Which gets back to our previous conversation about feelings is so often we tell girls, you know, don't, don't pay attention to your feelings. The heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. 
Mm-hmm. You, know? um, you just need to love and you need to be kind to all and you may yeah. be the only Jesus they see. Right. And we don't we don't teach girls how to actually protect themselves. Yeah. It's uh it's almost like far too many evangelical circles have made themselves unsafe for girls because they have mm-hmm. to put their safety on hold for the sake of making predators comfortable. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Direct quote from page 84. I wrote that down. Yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it's it it's huge. Yeah. It's it's such a that's such a big message. And it's it's strange because in school, at least when I went to Christian school, we would have police come in and do the normal like, hey, stranger danger and trust your gut. And if there's somebody but then all of a sudden, when you got gut feelings of someone within the church who wasn't the other or the stranger, it was like, you know, be nice to them or, oh, they're this or, oh, you need to – all the things you just said. It's it, it was like, believe your gut when it comes to the world, ignore your gut when it comes to the church. And like you see so many times repeated throughout the book, like a lot of the stuff's happening within the church. You know, twenty point three percent harassed by a youth pastor, ten percent unwanted sexual attention from a pastor, eighteen um, percent said they were harassed at church before they were eighteen. Like the stats are shocking, but there's so little education within the church on these topics. Yeah, no, it it is really bad. Um, when my oldest uh, was in youth group, there was a guy hanging out. He was about he was eighteen. Seriously creepy. They knew that he had sexually assaulted some kids at the high school already. Mm. And my daughter's very outspoken. She went to the youth leader and said, the girls are not comfortable with him being here. And she was told she was judgmental and that they were gossiping about someone just being weird and didn't they know that he needed Jesus. And as Rebecca said, weird we were not worried about. It was like predatory that we were worried about. It was dangerous. And the youth leader didn't listen to them. And so the boys in the youth group did a buddy system with all the girls so that no girl was ever alone in the church when they played some of those stupid, you know, the big games they do when they turn off all the lights and you run throughout the church, you know? (laughs) So the boys made sure the girls were safe, but the youth leaders did not. Yeah. Because they just felt the girls were being judgmental. If being weird is a crime. Every youth group, every youth group guy is arrested <laughs> right now. Um, but yeah, it's 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 bizarre. I just keep going back to like why, and like that's one of the things that you know. You look at the numbers, you look at all this stuff, and then I just go back to like why, like why is this so common and popular? And also like with pastors who have daughters, like I, it's again, I mm-hmm. my amount of respect as I grow because when I was when I was a teenager. I was very outspoken, you know, like I'm less outspoken now, but I was very outspoken as a teenager. And I was always told, you don't understand, or you're a teenager, or you're a kid, or you're emotional, or all those things. And like the older I get, those feelings have only heightened where it's like, now I have a kid. And I'm going, why on earth would you tell that to a kid? And then it's like, I'm seeing these cases happen with people around me. I'm going, okay, now I'm really freaked out. Like, why did you guys, like, it's not like I feel like I understand their position more. It's like more confusion and more shock from it. Um, You know, as you've kind of worked through assembling this data and going through and and talking to all these different people, like, how do you keep in this without getting so frustrated where it's like, I, I can't, like, what else can I say? Like, and I, cause I feel like that with the work that I do is like at a certain point, it's like, how many people, how much data, how many stories, like how much, and not, not for the pastors. Cause I have very little hope for many of the people who are benefiting the most. 
But like for the people in the pew who are like smart, intelligent, seemingly compassionate people who have like five kids sitting with them in the pew who like just don't get it. Like, how do you keep doing this without just feeling completely burned out? Oh, gosh, it's really hard. And I've had a hard month, honestly. It's just been crazy online. Not just about our book, but so many things have happened online so many news stories and i've been in the yeah. middle of a lot of them and it's it it's it's exhausting it really is exhausting just you feel like you're constantly fighting mm-hmm. for women to matter for people to yeah. matter um and yeah it gets tiring i think what keeps me going is realizing how often jesus talked about how people who thought they were following him actually weren't mm. And he talked so much about he who has ears to hear, let them hear. Um, Meaning that a lot of people don't have ears to hear. He talked about how we have to shake the dust off our feet. We are never going to get to the point where the church agrees. (laughs) Oh, the light bulb clicked. We got it. Yeah. Never going to get, we're we're not going to get to that point. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know if that is the aim. I think the aim is just to empower those who do have ears to hear to feel like I have a choice because mm-hmm. so many people, I know I used to sit in pews in churches that I fundamentally disagreed with and, and about how they handled women, how they talked to kids, all of that stuff. But I did it because I thought this is the only place I can hear the gospel. Mm-hmm. No. And then I realized, wow, I have churches in my neighborhood neighborhood that are really great. They're just a different denomination that I had never considered. Um, and I feel so much freer. Hmm. And so I, I think exploring those things matters, telling people that they have a choice. And every day we get so many emails from people who've read Great Sex Rescue, um, just talking about how this has finally put words to what they've been feeling. Yeah. Um, and we get that from counselors and pastors too, individual yeah. counselors and pastors. So even if the powers that be don't get it, I do feel like the grassroots is getting it and the grassroots movement's getting big. Yeah, that is very true. Yeah. <laughs> getting, and so I have larger. so much faith in Jen. I say Gen Z because I'm Canadian. I guess it's Gen Z. But anyway, <laughs> I have so much faith in them um, and, and, in, and in younger millennials, especially. Yeah. I, I think that, I think that the millennials that are under 30 and the, the gen, the gen Zs are going to change the church because they're not going to put up with it. Yeah. I think that's huge. Yeah. I've just, I, I asked that somewhat selfishly because I, I was telling someone on an interview like two days ago, I was like, I just feel burned out. Like, I feel like it's cause it's not like it's different stories or it's like, Oh, shocking. You know, it, <laughs> like at a certain point, you know, I can't say surprising news out of this denomination or shocking story coming, you know, it's like, expected story that came, you know, seven years later than we expected. It's, it's, and it's easy to, I think, burn out. And even like you mentioned the emails that are positive, which are fantastic, but I'm sure you get plenty of, (laughs) I'm sure you get plenty of emails that aren't so fantastic and plenty of messages, you know, that um, it's just, I was just curious. I was curious what your perspective was on that and what the the motivator was to keep (laughs) pushing forward on that front. Yeah, I I just keep thinking how much it's a remnant and how I need to get my eyes off of the big names. Yeah. And we just Mark Driscoll's to... not changing his mind anytime no, soon. No, he's not. And neither is Gary Thomas or Emerson Egrich or any of them. Um, but or Steve Arterburn, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but 
individual people matter no. and how much Jesus paid attention to individuals. And we just need to rethink what we mean by church and community. We've we focused so much on huge institutional churches and we've missed out on the personal relationships. Um, and I'm really grateful for the online world, actually, because I feel like I've met so many people and talked to so many people right. and, and that I do have a community online. Yeah. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But what a way to see that you're not alone. Like, Mm -hmm. or someone who is in a town of 100 people in Ohio where they're the one out of 99 that doesn't go to this creepy church down the road, you know, like where they can get in a Facebook group with someone across the country. Like, like the fact that we've been able to talk twice now where it's like, we've never met in person, but there's this, you know, I'm able to read your book and ask questions about it and, and get to discuss these things. Um, it, it's so huge. Um, I, I know we're getting near the, the end of our time. Um, I wanted to, uh, ask one thing, which is if someone is going to pick up a copy of the book, what's the number one message you hope they walk away with? Um, but then number two, I just wanted to say thank you for all of the work that you're doing. Uh, because like I said, I know it's been a crazy two years, uh, since we've last talked. I know there's been a lot of big stories that have broken and, uh, just for me as on the outside, who's looking at different figures and influencers who have, I think, done really great work in raising awareness on this issue. I mean, your name's up at the top of the list. Um, you know, I think of the Beth Allison Bars and the Kristen Dumais and like mm-hmm. this long list of people I've had the privilege of talking to. Um, it's heartbreaking to me to see that the church at large has the most animosity for the names that I just mentioned. (laughs) When I look at those names and go, those are the names to me that have been the most, um, I I don't know what to say, like the best representation of Christianity as a whole have been some of the names I mentioned and a a list of more names that I couldn't include here. Um, It's really heartbreaking to me to see the the treatment that you've gotten. So I want to say thank you. It's, it's noticed and appreciated. And, uh, for those who are picking up a copy of the book, uh, what's the number one overarching thought you hope they walk away with uh, reading through it? Just that more information 
with your kids is always good. The more you talk to your kids, the better your kids do. And this doesn't mean you have to talk to them perfectly. It doesn't mean you have to handle all the sex ed talks perfectly, all the talks about boundaries perfectly, all the talks about consent perfectly. It's okay to be awkward. It's okay to not know what to say. (laughs) But over and over again, we found that parents who talk to their kids, those kids did better and they had such much higher self-esteem. And so I just want to tell parents, like, lean in, you know, you're enough and your kids are getting all kinds of bad messages from all kinds of places. And so often we focus on the outside the church as, as the thing that is attacking our kids and inside the church, our kids are going to be safe. We didn't necessarily find that. We found that a lot of the most toxic stuff is inside some of our churches. And so we, as parents, we can't let our guard down. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that we're hopeless or that it's overwhelming or exhausting. Because if you can just invest in talking to your kids, you're going to have such a great relationship with them. That's going to take them so far. And even if things don't go perfectly, my kids grew up in two pretty toxic churches. And you know what? They're both awesome. They both married great guys, you know, (laughs) but it's because we kept talking to them. Yeah. Um, and we didn't hold back. And so I just want parents to know that, that, yeah. that you can do a great job. Yeah. Um, we help you do that. And she deserves better. There's lots of role-playing scenarios, t- talking exercises, but I just don't want people to feel overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, even though it's scary, even though it's awkward, you can do this. You really can. And your kids want you to. Yeah. Well, I think it's in your book, you say, you know, it's okay to change your mind or to be wrong about something. Mm-hmm. Um, if it wasn't your book, that's what you just said. So I can I could attribute it to you. But I think that's such an encouraging thing because a, a friend of mine, we have kids about the same age. and We always talk about like, I feel like if we do just one thing wrong, like this could screw them up. Like they're going to be at therapy saying, my dad did this and did that. And, you know, there's two things to that one we shouldn't villainize therapy as being like this horrible thing that people end up in, you know, because they got messed up by their parents. It's like, but on the flip side of that too, it's like that, that dialogue that's consistent and they're seeing you grow and work through it is probably the best parenting you could ever do, which is, Hey, I see my dad trying to figure this out. I see my mom trying to figure this out. I see them trying to do the thing that's going to best protect me and help me. And I think if that's always in the forefront, it's gonna gonna go a long way. But I'll, I won't speak too much into parenting until I've done a little bit of it. Um, <laughs> but thank you so much for for coming on. I know um, it's gonna help a lot of people, um, and I really appreciate all your work in this area. It's it's been really helpful. Yeah, thank you. And I just hope that more parents get a hold of she deserves better and yeah. work through it with their daughters, so that maybe in ten years nobody needs the great sex rescue. <laughs> yeah, that would be great, right? If you put yourself yes. out of business, would be a exactly. really good situation. That's so. the goal. Yeah. So, um, very last thing, I know they have a they have a link in the show notes to pick up the book. Um, what's next? Do we have another book? Do we have another survey? Yes, we do, actually. Um, So we're working on a marriage book. It's going to be different. I'm not trying to take anyone down. It's just going to be, let's build something healthy from the ground up. We kind of want to create an alternative to a lot of the evangelical Mm. marriage books, which are quite toxic. So we're going to look at what's healthy in marriage. Um, We've already got it all planned out. And we're going to do a different kind of survey, a matched pair, which (laughs) is exciting. So both husband and wife take it, and then we're able to compare answers. It's still anonymous. There's a way of doing it where it's still anonymous, but we're able to compare answers. Will they be able to see each other's answers? No. Okay. I was no. going to say, that's going to disrupt a lot. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I'm excited. You're co-writing that with Gary Thomas, right? This, this marriage <laughs> book? No. Uh, 
No. <laughs> no, with <laughs> no, my husband. Yeah, yeah. No, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much uh, again for jumping on um, and uh, and for chatting with me. And for anybody who's listening to this, be sure to grab a copy of the book. There's a link in the show notes to both The Great Sex Rescue and She Deserves Better. Sheila, thanks so much. For, uh, and I'll have you on, I guess, in two years. Talk about your next book. Sounds awesome. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Preacher Boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. This is the place where Black is the main character, where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop and BMF. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.